I have two guests, one that I introduced before, my very own, part of my, my own body, really, my father, Kevin, okay. <laughs> Kevin Russ, on the other side of the desk right now, an architect working in Auckland, but also I have the lovely Julia Waite, curator from Auckland Art Gallery, joining me today. Hello, Julia. Hello, Waveney. Morning. Good, Good to morning. be here. I'm so happy that you've come in today. I love when I have guests actually join me in the flesh in studio because talking over the phone, it's, you could be anywhere. You could be doing anything. But this is the real engagement to have all of you here with me right We're now. We're all stuck here. You're stuck. Yeah. You can't get, you're on air. I'm not yeah. going to turn your mics off. You yeah. can't walk out. Yeah. This is it. And you've done your deep research, Waveney. You've been <laughs> to the show this morning. We so. have, yes. And we've already passed a few comments, but now we get to ask you all the nitty-gritty questions that we've been wanting to know. Um, and I mentioned just before we went on air, this is not a brand new exhibit that you've curated. When did this come about originally? Well, this, I mean, it um, goes back now, the story of this show years ago probably to actually when I first started at the gallery when I um, got the idea f to do it mm. and then it was first presented at Auckland Art Gallery um, between sort of May 2015 oh. and mid 2016 and um, you know we never planned for it to tour the country but mm. it, um, as I was saying it sort of resonated for people and maybe they were missing mid-century, a bit of mid-century magic mm. and um, I think also the McCann factors there Yeah, and seeing McCann in this new context with some of his peers and so yeah it got good pick up and, and good feedback and so we decided to tour it and it went to Wellington and Hamilton, Napier, wow. Hawke's Bay Museum and Art Gallery and it's... Um, Finishing its tour here, which is really super exciting and meaningful for me because I was a student in Dunedin. Oh, wow. And I started work um, in public art galleries at Dunedin Public Art Gallery. So it's kind of like a homecoming. This is the final chance to have a look at freedom and structure before. Where is it going to go? Is it going to go back to. Gonna, they're all going to go back, back to, to their, their homes. Ba back to their private collections. <laughs> Yeah, whereabouts have all of these pieces come from? They have come from um, all over the show, and I think I love travelling around New Zealand, mm. and I've lived in different areas and got to know people who are passionate about art, that I have, you know, shared a shared interest um, in early modern New Zealand work, and so over the years I'd sort of visited public collections and seen things and I've been able to look at things online and search for work but um, yeah as, as you're saying there are treasures that have come out of private homes and I think possibly some of the more meaningful work actually came um, from Melvin Day mm. who's a in a, in a sense one of the lesser known artists um, in the exhibition but when I was developing the show he was still alive and he was just sitting on this amazing body of work in his studio in Seatoon in Wellington. Mm. And he'd sort of moved on from Cubism, you know, it was something that he'd done as a young man in the 1940s and 50s, and he was almost dismissive about this work, and he was sort of pulling these things out of his studio, and I was just going, oh my goodness, this is amazing, and I can see the potential to include it. And so that was magic. Um, and then other things have been lent from Louise Henderson's family 
very generously, so I can't say too much about the private collection. No, of course not. <laughs> we, we, we have been wondering. Yeah, but there was one Louise Henderson um, piece that we were particularly enamoured by this morning. Which piece was that, Dad? Um, that was The Sun Owned Woman in Yellow. Yeah, is there anything that you were wondering about that piece in particular? Well, yeah, 1954, I was, I was talking to Julia before off, off air, and that whole triangulation of, that we mentioned earlier, mm. um, you know, highly architectural, sort of anticipating the future in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, computer generated design is, is where that triangulation has got to now. Yeah. And it's just such a um, beautifully composed piece, rich in colour, warm. Notice there's a, a little bit of um, vintaging of the oil in some parts of it, <laughs> so it may need some, some uh, curation. But um, uh, it's just a lovely, lovely piece, really calming sort of piece to look at. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's... Um Did you recognise it? Because it's always been a bit of an no. icon on the collection. You know, no. in Auckland, no, it's... Yeah. Yeah, she, you know, she's she's been out a few times over the years, and um, look, I mean, I think this work is interesting, and you know, people have always, I think, for a long time, people felt very uncomfortable about cubism in New Zealand because there was this feeling it sort of brought out all our anxieties about cultural cringe and being a bit late, as I say, a bit late to the cubist party. Mm-hmm. You know, it sort of came here, and people were exploring the style in the 50s and that was you know 40 years after it was born in Europe but I think Louise understood all of that and she knew that she was aware that she was a bit late in the day Mm. but she could still see the potential of the style which was so important in terms of becoming an abstract you know it, it was like a toolkit to become an abstract painter and I think in a way, she also um, loved fashion and theatre and design, and and in a way, it, it almost became like a costume. She could she could dress these women, mm. her female subjects, like the Samoan woman, in a yellow pr- prismatic faceted gown, in a way to sort of assert her modernity. You know, yeah. to say this woman, this is a modern woman. So it's almost metallic, isn't it? Yeah, the, the look of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, you know, Louise was also, you know, she was French-born. She came here in the twenties. She was born in nineteen o two, and she also had one foot in the old world and in her life in Europe. And of course, there's a connection with this kind of painting, with um, you know, odalisque paintings and 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 historic paintings. There's mm. another really luscious pinky nude in the exhibition and that's got a very much a kind of Poussin-esque feeling to it. So they're modern on one hand but they're also a mashup. They're hybrid paintings and yeah. I think that's you know, that's interesting. And did that help um, shape where you perceived the female identity and the Māori and Pacifica identity within the genre of Cubism when you saw that work or have there been other works that you've seen as well um, that touch on that um, real femininity within that genre um, or indigenous indigenous identity? Yeah, I think um, Louise is interesting because she's extremely well-travelled and I've been able to um, have access to some of her like personal papers and archive and I've read about, you know, the day this 
this woman came to pose for her. Um, so she was a Samoan woman mm. known to Louise, and Louise's daughter, um, her only child, ended up living in um, Rarotonga in the Cook Islands for decades. And so, um, you know, Lu- Louise was very a comfortable international person but she did make this fascinating commitment to the female figure and some of these um, paintings and she did a whole series of of two women and uh, one of these works was called Deux Amis which is like two friends Um, but it was actually a kind of play on words because that is a kind of coded language for gay couples and she presented these paintings in Auckland and art historians and commentators have said, you know, um, if people of the day had actually known what the kind of hidden meaning of these paintings was, but um, you know, she also had bad moments she was censored Um, she painted a luscious nude, cubic cubist nude painting of a woman, a journalist came to see her work and said, you can't exhibit that it's hugely relevant here at the moment because of the censorship of Critic, the magazine that runs out of the university. I'm not sure if you've heard much about that. No. Um, but the front cover for Critic from this week um, was an amorphous person. Well, it's not a photograph. It's, um, it's quite pixelated, in fact. Uh, it was the menstruation issue, and it was of a person um, with their legs open, and you could see you could see the genitalia, but it wasn't a picture of it. It was an artistic, you know, rendition of it, um, with you know some blood and some hair, but just what it looks like. You know, that mm. is is what it looks like. Um, and the university took 500 copies of the magazine and destroyed it during the night. So we've had protests here at the university around that sort of censorship this week. So it's really interesting that you bring that up because that's incredibly relevant right now. Um, of course, we're working in student media on this radio station as well. And we're all, you know, we're owned by OUSA. So it's become the issue of the student union as well. Yeah. I mean, there are complex issues around a painting like Samoan Woman in Yellow as well, because for some people it could be considered, you know, um, a kind of exoticizing. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, painting uh, that relates to some of the work Picasso was doing in the early 20th century when he was looking and collecting uh, material from Africa. Um, but, you know, these are all important conversations. This is New Zealand art history. Um, I want to see more of these kinds of mm-hmm. exhibitions. This is where we, these are talking points for us. And um, I'm also involved in a Gordon Walters exhibition which is opening shortly. <laughs> yeah, mm. new, vision. <laughs> new vision. So, you know, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, we've, we've got to be open to exploring these ideas and mm-hmm. from, from a variety of perspectives yeah. and that's interesting, you know, that's, um, that's our heritage. So Yeah, how yeah. did the curatorial experience differ between curating or co-curating Gordon Walters' exhibit compared to Freedom and Structure? Oh, look, freedom and structure um, was an amazing learning experience for me, and I um, it was the first you know kind of big exhibition that I did alone. But I had really strong mentoring um, from the then principal curator, Dr. Zara Stanhope, who's gone on to um, Queensland Art Gallery. So she was a mentor for me, and I felt very green. I felt at the same time that I could take this project on. Yeah. Gordon Walters is a 
another step up and a massive um, learning curve. And look, you just keep growing and staying open through these things. Yeah. But um, no, they're all different. And I think co-collaboration is a challenge, but it's so worthwhile yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So to go back to the cubism for a second, what effect has cubism had on painting in New Zealand, do you think? If we're speaking holistically, I know it's a tough question. Oh, look, I think the show um, evidences its, you know, profound impact across 30 years or more. So it is a, it is sort of, it's a historicising project, but I think if you can see what those three main figures, you know, Weeks, Henderson, McCann mm -hmm. were doing and how they were actually influencing each other um, and almost passing the baton on yeah. to each other. One could argue McCann could never have made all that cubist work if he hadn't seen Louise's. Mm. And therefore, you know, we probably wouldn't have had McCann's Gate series you know, which is such an important body of work, and then all the work that's come on from then. So, you know, it's a long, um, it's a long period and conversation across artists, but it's pretty fundamental. It's about abstraction, mm. you know. Um, so I think, I think I've tried to argue that it's it's been really important, and and that dialogue, that influence, one connecting to the to the next year. Yeah. Were you surprised when you saw those McCann works for the first time? I mean, I know it's a while there back now. quite a few. I mean, I think I knew of them. Mm. And like, um, oh, I think the one, the one that um, stays with me is that really wondrous kind of luscious French Bay from 1956. Oh, which yes. Is in yeah, mm. that was the gorgeous. Yeah. Um, it's a kind of vertical... Um, vertical portrait format to see it in the flesh wave now I mean that's the thing about this exhibition it's like come in and see these things in person mm. you can see McCann working with apricot coloured paint this is not something that we normally equate <laughs> <laughs> McCann with yeah, exactly. this quite kind of joyous um, exploratory time in his practice and I think the thing that did surprise me mm. about McCann's work um, was the scale of some of them, like the original little I Am painting, which that was is gorgeous. And yeah. the Hawkins collection is like quite wee. <laughs> um, there's a real sense of innocence to it, isn't there? That, that oh, sort of, there's a joy yeah, to a joy, it that, yeah. that yeah. seemed to get a little bit lost later on in this work, you know? I know, mm. I know. So it's lovely it to see that. It was interesting to see the overlap between the cubism work and those textural works, one of which you just mentioned, because of course I went into the exhibit and I saw this work that I didn't equate to a McCann work in any kind of way, but then you turn around and there is that big I am and, and the other piece I can't remember I'm the exact. Was it I'm I, I, yeah. I'm yeah, yeah, and then it's like you are looking at a McCann piece again. So it's these two worlds that McCann entered into and overlapped, and one might surprise you, but then there's the familiar McCann, and it was a bit overwhelming. It was like he actually had all of this work that some people may not be aware of, but you can still go into that exhibit and feel 
that familiarity of the work that you you might already know, which was really nice within the. So so good job on the curation of that part. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. And I just wanted to um, give a quick shout out to the Hocken Library. You know, so many of we these love works, the so many of these works uh, were generously loaned by the Hocken, and mm. they've got you know roots in Dunedin. These are works that were owned by. Charles Brash, your great patron, and also Rodney Kennedy, and um, I, th- I think I'm correct that um, the 1956 French Bay painting was in Rodney's home. And just imagine, like, having wow. a piece of cold toast with Marmite on it, looking at that in the morning, <laughs> sort of like, um, yeah. Were you about to say something before Dad? You well, just I, I was. The the, the um, there's a uh, Titarangi piece by McCann. Mm. And I was quite taken. Again, this may be a little bit technical, but the this I can is, handle it. Don't <laughs> I can handle it. This is 1956, and it's it's turning into a pixelation. Mm. And there's a later piece by Louise, um, which is uh, Arman, 1956 again, which is a very pixelated. It, it, it it's almost a digital approach, and it's. And it is, um, I'd be interested to hear what you thought or think about that almost anticipation of a later pixelated computer age. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, this is modernism. This is the beginning of modernism. And this is why it's so important to, um, you know, look at our own history. This is where, you know, we've got some roots into modernity. And I think I like to go back to the work and encourage people to to develop, you know, visual language to describe what they're looking at, so they can do some of that visual analysis. Mm. Um, the two works that you're talking about actually come from really different places, I think. Mm. Um, in the case of the Macan work, he was also thinking about Seurat and pointillism and impressionism and sort of ways of seeing and visual experience and. At the time, around the time he made that work, he had this habit of keeping his eyes closed in the morning when he woke up so that he hadn't had too much light going into his eyes. And then he'd sort of run out onto the deck, shadowing his eyes, and then sort of open them. Flood himself. And wow. flood himself. And so there's this lovely kind of, um, you know, process. But I think with Louise, it's quite different in the Middle East. In 1955, she's thinking more about kind of post Cubist, late Cubist styles and thinking about work by Mondrian, Le Corbusier Mm. um, and thinking about sort of planes and the grid and um, of course that grid kind of comes to the surface of the work in quite an interesting way so Mm. they're all quite deconstructed aren't they? Very much so. They're analytical it's a different kind of it's not traditional analytic Cubism It's it's sort of personal it approach. is, and, and when you look at the, some of these works, you can almost see a grid laid out on the canvas prior to painting. Mm. So it's, a, it's actually a very determined sort of approach, yeah. and um, fascinating. Yeah, and of course this is um, this exhibit spans from the 30s until the 60s, but how do you think Cubism is understood in New Zealand in a contemporary context? Well, I think there's... Uh, yeah, there's quite a lot of activity going on in this area. It's quite interesting, and a lot of it is being the vanguards, this mm-hmm. kind of new um, group exploring Cubism. A lot of them are women, which is really interesting. Fantastic. 
And you've got, of course, Saskia Lake, the artist based in yep. um, Dunedin, making kind of contemporary quasi cubist really cool. waiting, really interesting layering and connections with kind of um, vintage images and I think a lot of echoing of Louise Henderson, mm-hmm. which I'm pleased to see. I think that's very, very interesting. She's a marginalised figure in our art history. There are a whole lot of reasons for that. Yeah. Um, also Imogen Taylor, great Auckland-based, very brave, ambitious Auckland-based painter doing all sorts of, um, you know, cubistic formalist kind of mashup but also um, combining that with um, some queer theory uh, in really interesting ways. She had a yeah. cool show at Art Space in Auckland a couple oh, of cool. years ago called Glory Hole which was pretty groovy. Um, you've got artists like Emma Fitz who's got some work hanging at Christchurch Art Gallery at the moment. She's working more with textiles but there is that connection with cubism so the big question is, what is it about this movement? Why is it why is it resurfacing? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm still thinking through that. I think it's a kind of it might feel a bit um, positive, joyous. There's a kind of utopianism in there. It's probably a little bit like why we might enjoy looking at mid-century architecture. Mm. There's something in that work. It's not cynical, especially. It's yeah. very, very honest, and it's actually quite simple when you view it. I yeah. mean, you don't need to think too much or be too complex. And um, also, the the colours are um, are a celebration as well. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. nothing yeah. sort of dark or mysterious that you need to worry about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah. right. That's right. And. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, in um, in Europe, you know, between 1910 and 1912, you know, when it was sort of really evolving rapidly before the First World War, it was also very playful. Mm. And there's a lot of wordplay and punning and naughtiness going on in Picasso and Braque's early work, which I quite like. Yeah. And I think people aren't necessarily aware of that, or they think, oh, you know, Snorfest, um European Eurocentric art history not interested but um, you know I think um, I was curious I wanted to go there and um, I love an underdog and this was an underdog story you know cubism in New Zealand Mm, yeah and can we expect more of those kind of thoughts um, in your floor talk tomorrow at the DPAG what can we expect Um, I think you can expect close engagement with the work you know um, a real kind of um, not a negative but a kind of empathetic interrogation of what's going on on the surface of the work and some background on the artists, their relationships, these kind of networks of influence um, and connectedness and um, yeah, my personal take. Fantastic. Are there any other questions that you would like to ask, Julia? I think um, for the, uh, we we talked earlier about one of your new um, colleagues in Auckland, uh, Neil Steimler, from the Met, and his take on moving accessibility of art into a more digital era. Um, will this Is this collection going to live on in a digital sense somewhere? Can it be viewed in a digital way? That's uh, a great question, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, maybe we need to, um, I need to take that back to um, Basecamp and talk mm. to them about it, because um, we 
you know, we published, which is quite a, you know, a printed catalogue, which is quite conventional. And I know Neil's wanting us to do more in the digital space. Mm. And that's a really good idea. Maybe we need to show, you know, this group of work and online. Yeah. Even though we don't own all work, that Auckland no. Art Gallery should show this little, this little network of, you yeah, know. Because it will disappear soon. Well, it will disappear online. As an entity, yeah. it will disappear. As a, as a travelling troupe, you yeah. won't see it again. No. You know, it's like the Rolling no. Stones breaking. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. The relationships between the pieces are going to be severed soon. So it would be fantastic mm. to have that somewhere yeah, that anyone that can little family. It. They yeah. are a little family of works. Yeah. And like it is, you know, I mean, you do develop a slightly unhealthy relationship with them. I'm sure. <laughs> just, just like These children. These paintings are my babies, yeah. <laughs> These oh. old paintings. But, um, yeah, look, I think um, I want to, you know, I want to follow my exciting new colleague and see where he wants to take us. But also, you know, I have to champion the art objects that's mm. really important mm. um these are these are our taonga and um you know we w- i want people to love looking yeah absolutely yeah. and on that kind of note um to to go down a level for a second just for anyone who might be listening who may not necessarily be involved in the art world and art might not be a big part of their life and if they walk into the cubism exhibit they might not be instantly engaged with the works what would you say to someone who wasn't necessarily actively interested in cubism um, that could maybe get them having a look at the pieces a little bit differently well i always think you know when um you know, I like people who are, we call them sort of repeat offenders. We like people that go to galleries often, you know, mm. and it's about going and um, not putting yourself under any pressure to look at every single thing mm-hmm. in this very intense way. I think, you know, if I travel, go to other other, other art galleries, sometimes it is just about having a bit of a graze, a bit yep. of a browse around and seeing what what totally. takes you fancy. Keep walking until something stops you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but also, you know, these people um, had, you know, fascinating lives and there are some pretty interesting stories there to engage with as well. So, yeah, maybe if you like narrative, you know, and you want to yep. hear a good yarn, yep. there's that side to it as well. Oh, fantastic. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Julia Waite, and of course, my father, Kevin Russ. <laughs> Thanks for that as well, Dad. You've been a great help. Um, and I hope the floor talk goes well tomorrow at the DPAG at 1pm, 1 till 2 at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery tomorrow, tomorrow. Julia will be giving a talk about freedom and structure. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.